Hello, everyone, and welcome to the State of Sport Management, a podcast with Dr. Matthew Hummel coming from the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. Here is this week's episode. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode here of the State of Sport Management podcast. Today, we're going to tackle a conversation that I've discussed with other people before. I think this is probably something that a lot of us have had one-on-one conversations with co-authors or close friends in our field because it's something that can definitely rattle people or get people frustrated and that is talking about journal reviews when you submit an article you get it back you get a decision from a journal um barring it being except this is the greatest thing ever we all have our own consternations about that but i've talked off and on about this with our guest say so i thought he'd be the perfect person to bring in so Welcome, everybody, to Chad Seifried joining us here. He is the, and listing on the website, the LM Pat and Mildred Harrison Endowed Professor at Louisiana State. So, Chad, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for inviting me today, Matt. Yeah, no problem. And to get us started off, both of our Big Ten basketball teams are actually successful this year with me being an Illinois basketball fan and you being a Penn State basketball fan. So this is the best Penn State basketball season since when? Uh, when I was on Penn State's team back in 96. So um, <laughs> back in the Big Ten that year. And of course, the notable thing I'd like to add is that we were one of those five seeds that lost to a 12 seed. <laughs> oh, gosh. Who was the 12 seed? Uh, Arkansas. They were coming off back-to-back Final Fours. And oh. They were still really good. They just had a little hiccup here and there during the season, but they ended up making it. <laughs> so uh, was that like the Nolan Richardson days, 40 minutes of hell type stuff? Yeah, yeah. And our region was hilarious too, or it was really good because you know, we had, you know, us, uh, UMass, Marquette was really good at that, that point in time that year. Um, UMass had the Calipari. They were ranked second in the country on those years that they lost to Kentucky in the semifinal, I think. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was a really good region, so. <laughs> and so. Uh, up in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and I I would probably say this is, oh, man, probably Illinois' best season since 2009 when I think they finished in the upper half of the Big Ten, and they were also a five seed, I want to say, and got upset. But I, I'm trying to – it's escaping me now on who they actually played for that. But yeah, that's for another day, I guess. But, yeah, so both our teams are doing good, which is funny because I think last year I talked to you about hoping that – Illinois and Penn State would both be good. I didn't expect things to be going this good. So, uh, me neither. I mean, so particularly you guys. I mean, I knew Penn State would be decent, but I didn't know they'd be this yeah, good. Right, right now. both would be ranked. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to think of it. At this point in the season, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, all right, so let's kind of get started. The big thing is kind of talking about. So, kind of put yourself in a position, and you can even envision one of your papers, however you want to. Uh, kind of project this, but thinking about you got a paperback from a journal that you submitted, like how, how do you approach that article review? So, you know, when you get that initial like letter uh, or, you know, initial like kind of decision from the editor or associate editor, uh, like anybody, you go for the decision right away. Are they accepting? Are they rejecting? Is it a revised resubmit? Um, and so you kind of like, I guess your approach depends a little bit upon like what, what's, what's next, if you will. So, you know, if it's a rejection, you know, clearly you start reading through like what are the things they didn't like about because nobody likes being rejected at the end of the day, but you can't really like get, you know, this is something I've had to learn. It's something you have to mentor even doc students on when you're helping them uh, try to write papers. You kind of have to build up some calluses, so to speak, uh, over the years with the review process in that uh, you can't take things too personal. Uh, reviewers are out there trying to do hopefully a really good job uh, and uh, take their feedback and see if there's things in there that you find merit with, or there are things that you think that maybe, um, um, and there might be some things you completely disagree with too. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I try not to get too emotional about it. Uh, you know, when I was just coming out of school, I mean, it was like, I would get like really upset about something, you know, or I'd get, but, you know, now not so much anymore. I've had a ton of papers rejected. <laughs> so you do build up some calluses a little bit as I kind of like to use uh, that analogy. 
So, uh, but there is some thought process. You got other things going on during the day, particularly when you're more a senior faculty member. Like I got a million other things I got going on. I got students coming in. I got paperwork. I got straight things. I got to do this grant coordinator. So I got to put that stuff aside and then I'll come back to it later. So, I mean, and there was that kind of good general rule, like when you get a decision, like just wait 24 hours and then go back to it and read it over again. Um, and before you start like, you know, writing anything down or like really making any more points to think about it in maybe a negative way, because again, some of the feedback can be really good feedback um, that could really help enhance the paper, uh, even during rejections. So uh, that's the first thing you gotta do. But I also try to assess the level of the quality of the actual review itself too. Um, you know, who's done a lot of reviews. Um, I've won, you know, quite a few like reviewing awards at conferences and journals. Um, so I, I like to think I kind of have a good pulse on like, what's a good review. Uh, I'm on a lot of different editorial boards. And I think part of the reason I got invited to be on those is because people recognize that I do do, do good reviews, not only because I'm on other editorial boards, but because I've done a lot of ad hoc things as well. So, um, anyone looking at my CV, I think would see that at the end of the day, but, um, I do try to assess the quality of the review effort too. Um, and so some reviews are really good and some other ones aren't so much. And so that's the typical thing I kind of start off with is like just trying to like tone down any emotions and just try to really dial in at like, you know, how, how good's a review or are people making good legitimate points? Cause sometimes you even kind of know when you submit something, there may be some things that you hope maybe the reviewers will catch and help you enhance cause you're having, you're having some problems with it. You might be just a little stuck on something. Yeah. And to kind of add in one thing I've noticed that I do is when I get a review in, I'll read the decision, but I usually stop there. <laughs> and it's not that I like later on, I'll go down and actually read the comments, but for whatever reason, it's more palatable for me to just consume the decision in that moment and then kind of go about whatever I was doing and not try to let it affect me. And then later, like whether it's later that week or the next day or even later that day, I'll actually go through and read the comments from the reviewers for whatever reason that's worked out well for me. I don't know if I necessarily recommend that for others, but no, I think that's great. I mean, anytime you can have set aside time for like you might call research time, that's the perfect opportunity to review those kind of things. Yeah, that's a good point. So you get this review, you consume it. We'll just say it's, um, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. It could be a flat out rejection. You're planning to go to a different journal. It's a revise and resubmit. You're going to resubmit to that journal or it's an accept major, minor, or uh, everything but an accept as is. Right. Kind of going through and responding to those reviewer comments. Like what's your approach when you're, I guess, agreeing with those reviewers, trying to find a comp, like a compromising point or flat out trying to disagree with the comment they made. So as far as like how, and I, maybe this will follow up into maybe a, a follow up question you might have related to like kind of format responses, but, or yeah. how I, I might do that. But you know, yeah, that might be a good point to start with. Yeah. So like, I kind of like, I take the review itself. So that's to say it's between the two reviewers, you might have three to five pages of feedback. We'll just say, um, and I try to like, I try to like, all the, what I call like, you know, dead weight out of the review. You know, if they're just telling you like you did a good job or something like that, I'm only, I only want to kind of focus on those things that uh, they've really specifically highlighted as like positives or negatives, you know, that general feedback, like you did a good job. That doesn't do much. So I just cut those kind of things out of the review. So then I, it's kind of like an edit tape, you know, like you're watching a game and you clump out all the commercials and all the dead spots. Right. Yeah. I try to do that out of the review. And then from there, I just kind of methodically go through, like each of the different points of emphasis they created and I try to like organize a potential response or certainly look at what they said and see whether or not I, I agree or is it an opportunity to compromise or agree kind of how you outline. Um, and then from there, like I go back and I look at my paper and I, you know, see whether or not there's opportunities to make changes and whether or not that'd be a good idea. Um, I always try to emphasize things in, a potential response I would have to review that I appreciate their effort. I also appreciate uh, the things that they agreed with, you know, with me, like they like the things that I, you know, I or my co-authors like put together in a paper. I try to emphasize those things um, as the agreeing things. And then uh, I also recognize like what I, again, what I consider to be the most important 
feedback that influenced their decision or recommendation. And then I try to methodically kind of go through that. Um, now, as far as like how I organize it though, I do more of like a word doc with like bullet points responses. So like, you know, I might, okay. number one, this is comment number one that you had reviewer one, comment one, and then comment two, three, et cetera. And then underneath that, I'll like, I'll write out response and then I'll write not just the response I have, but also here's what I actually did in the paper. Or if I didn't do something, I'll write why I didn't do that. Um, as part of that compromise or disagree kind of thing. Um, and so I think that works out really good for me. I've seen people do table formats where they take the same comments, comment one, two, three, whatever for review one, two, and three. Uh, and then they kind of have, here's your comment and here's my response. So I've seen table formats work really good. Uh, I've been part of review teams or author teams that respond to reviewers that way. But personally, when I do it, I just like using like a Word doc and I just like saying, here's comment one and here's how I responded to like some kind of bullet point. And then here's exactly what changes I did or didn't do in the paper. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm going to say I I used to do kind of what you did, like a, a traditional Word document where I'd, I'd either like italicize their comments and then put my comments below that in a bullet or whatever. But I've also, yeah, been part of teams that do tables. I, I know some people highlight a document when they resubmit it, like a manuscript areas that have been worked worked on i mean i don't know you've been an editor before do you think there's a best approach on this or is it more kind of just fitting to whatever is best fit for for you well some of the things that a lot of journals now do besides highlighting is actually make requests like you have different font color and okay font color is like you know if it's red or orange or whatever like i will use that same font color like in my response so everything else is like black font and maybe i'm using orange or red I, I use that as part of like my response thing. Like, here's what it's going to look like the paper. And then when I resubmit the paper, you know, potentially following their, you know, requests, I'll have that font change in there as well. And those kind of things are really valued. I think from the reviewer end coming back then, cause it might help them save time when they're re looking at the same paper they looked at previously. Cause I can see really like, okay, I had this comment, like I can go right to the paper to see whether or not it, it's a good fit or not. Or did you, do what I ask you to do or not. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so I, some of the journals are actually trying to encourage that kind of stuff to make it easier for people to respond to reviewers. I think that way. Okay. So in kind of transition, cause I think this is the toughest part is I know my advisor, Dr. Holmes would say back in the day, as long as you didn't get a rejection, that was, that was great. And part of me has, um, somewhat transition to, I almost feel like the best case scenario is to not get split reviewers. Cause I feel like split reviews can be really tricky where you have someone that really likes a paper and someone that doesn't, it almost feels like you're only trying to convince one person while also not souring the person that's happy and what's going on. So like, what are your thoughts on split reviews? How do you approach that as the author? So the first thing I look at is has the editor or the associate editor handling my paper actually given me some instruction to help handle that. And maybe one of my criticisms collectively, I think across our field of sport management, I think too often we don't have editors doing enough or associate editors doing enough to provide instruction to authors of papers to help in those kind of mixed review or split review situations. Um, Cause they can help solve potential, a lot of problems if they spend a little bit more time um, facilitating and assisting the review process. Um, we got too many editors out there that, you know, again, I'm talking about someone who's been doing this for close to 15 years now um, as a professor. And I've had a lot of papers in review and I've had a lot of discussions with editors and associate editors and things like that. And some are better than others. And the better ones are the ones that really take the time to review, review all the reviewer feedback. And then they try to craft some kind of like points of emphasis for an author. So I'm really hoping as an author that I get that kind of thing moving forward because that's going to help you craft a response to the reviewers as well. Saying the editor, you know, asked me to emphasize this or concentrate on this. This seems in line with one reviewer, but maybe not the other. Um, and so that's kind of, I guess, my initial starting point is I'm hoping that the editor, you know, has done some things. And then, you know, as far as like, you know, if you, if you don't have that scenario where they've given you some instructions, like, well, how do you you know, how do you address that? Well, 
I think you just got to go through, um, you know, ask yourself, you know, again, what do you agree with? What do you not agree with? Um, are there opportunities to compromise? You know, just do some real good soul searching or self, you know, self-reflection on that um, to see if there's a possibility for you to kind of uh, change up some things in the paper. Um, I think it's really important that even though if you disagree with something, you always kind of acknowledge the reviewer that you appreciate their opinion, you appreciate their insight. But then you have to do a lot of explanation about like, why did you not want to do this? Yeah. One of the reasons could be that the other reviewer didn't have any problems with it. And so if they didn't bring it up as an issue, that's one way you can justify it. But you need to have more to help them understand or come to understand why you're going the route you are if you're going against something they recommend. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm going to add into this because this kind of feels like going back to that responding to reviewer comments, almost that disagreement. Yeah. Um, I think it is really important if you're going to make a stand on something, um, you need to have a lot of data and support for why exactly you're disagreeing. Um, it, this is not something that you can flippantly say like, Hey, you know, this fits better in with what we're doing. Like, um, like just recently on a uh, manuscript of resubmitting of kind of trying to craft away disagreement. We looked at a lot of papers that have been published in that exact same journal to support why we were doing it in our specific way. And, I want to say it was a method, a methodology issue. We also brought in other resources and references in the statistics field that supported exactly why we were doing this approach or whatever, but we couldn't have just flippantly said like, Hey, you know, like that's great and everything, but we're going to stick with the way we're going to do that. I think that's really important to make sure that you have that support when you're making a, having a disagreeing stance. Yeah. And I think as, you know, as a reviewer, if you read that, and this is why I think some reviewers are better than others. Like some people won't take your response, you know, your uh, counter punch, if you will, you know, as a negative, you know, they'll look at it as an also potentially an opportunity for them to learn too. I mean, I really think the quality of my papers is, you know, improved a lot over time uh, because of the number of papers that I've reviewed and the number of times I've been engaged in that like review process where I've had to write things down that I thought about papers but then also re, you know, re- reviewing the response to the reviewers as some, I think it's also been a good learning opportunity for me to help me advance my paper. So I appreciate it when authors put a lot of time in to like their responses and provide a good amount of rationale for why they decided maybe not to do something. Cause I can be convinced. I mean, I'm not, and I, I'd hope that a lot of other reviewers out there aren't completely set in stone on like, you know, having to go one way or the other. Um, I do a lot of like papers that are like history based papers. And so there are just not a lot of people in sport management that kind of know how to read those. And it's no disrespect Mm. that like, you know, we're doing methods classes or you're thinking about like your doctoral training, typically like historical research is not part of the, you know, traditional like methodological, you know, realms that we uh, have courses in, you know, qualitative, quantitative, you know, those are, you know, the two typical kinds of things, you know, uh, that we do, but we don't do a lot of like, you know, history based types of methods. And so like, sometimes I have to like educate people on those kind of things, but I have to be sensitive to the fact that I'm not, I can't just call them like ignorant or whatever. I just, yeah, I can't lecture them. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be like preaching to them about like, they need to do a better job on like being a better member of like, cause I, I do have some expectations as a reviewer myself that uh, I'm not going to know everything about everything that, they're writing about, but I truly, I try to make a good effort to go out and learn things about things that I'm not familiar with in order to help me do a good review on it. And so I kind of have that expectation too, as an author, when I get reviewer feedback that they went out and did that, I'm not naive. I know a lot of people don't, because as I said earlier, there's good reviewers out there and then there's not good reviewers. And so some people don't make the extra effort to really put in a really good quality review. And so in that instance, it might be up to me as the author responding to them to kind of, you know, educate them a little bit on it, but without being like a lecture or preachy, preachy about it. Yeah. And I do like not only using resources online, I've, I've even kind of used my colleagues as resources because just recently I had to review a paper as qualitative and I've done a little bit on qualitative, but I definitely don't feel comfortable enough to say I'm an expert where I talk to my qualitative colleague and said, Hey, you know, here, like read this one paragraph. Here's what I'm thinking. Like, does that make sense? Just to make sure I'm not 
giving a disservice to these authors that put a lot of effort in to do this paper on what's going on. Um, now, kind of taking that next step of, do you ever get the editor involved in a review? And then like, if you do, like, what do you think the thresholds are or what is required for you think that should make the author confident or believing it's necessary at this point to bring in an editor within the process? So I, I absolutely in the past on several occasions have gotten the editors involved in papers that I've written um, because one, I might not have been satisfied with the review process. Um, sometimes that's based on a decision to reject and sometimes that's based on a decision to go through additional reviews when I don't think that's necessary. So I personally don't have any problems reaching out to an editor to try to get them to either move along the review process or to reconsider the review that just happened. Um, there's certainly some tact that you need to appreciate when you're doing that. You know, a lot of these editors are doing that because, you know, they, they have a great admiration for our field. Um, a lot of these editors are doing it on a basically volunteer basis in that, you know, they don't receive any kind of compensation and such. But that being said, you know, if you assume the role of an editor, you know, you're assuming, in my opinion, a, a pretty big responsibility in that you have to be accessible to authors, you have to be accessible to reviewers, um, and you got to be willing to answer questions. And sometimes you have to be willing to have tough conversations, you know, with people, you know. Um, and so when you feel like there's been things that didn't go well in the review process, I think you owe it to yourself uh, to bring that to the attention of the editor, because, you know, sometimes there are editors out there, they're just trying to get things through the system. You know, they're just trying to facilitate the movement of the paper from, you know, it got submitted to reviewers and things like that. Um, and so they might have a bunch of papers like that. They're, you know, uh, working with simultaneously, but they do know that sometimes need, need to have, uh, you know, some uh, pause put in place, where they, they know they have to like pay attention to like some specific requests you have. And uh, some of those conversations I've had with editors has gotten to the point where, you know, I've decided to pull the paper out of the journal um, because I'm satisfied with the review process and I decided to go somewhere else. Um, some of those conversations have gone really good where I would actually compliment the editor on what a, what a great job they did handling um, all the different like, contrasting reviews. Um, so I, I think you should also be willing to pay compliment um, to um, editors as well. I mean, I've even complimented editors when I've had papers rejected as well um, because I, I feel like they did a good job managing the whole review process. And, um, and I, I could agree with the decision on this, on this aspect or that aspect, um, certainly expressing disappointment, but also recognizing that the paper I believe the paper that I wrote will get better or has gotten better as a result of the review process that they manage. So it's not always about reaching out to them when bad things happen. Sometimes you, you do some things and tell them like what a good job they did. And so I've done both of those over the years, but negative ones are the ones that we typically focus in on the most um, just because, you know, they leave the most impact on people. And there are good editors out there and there's bad editors in sport management. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. I mean, I wouldn't name names ever on something like this, but there are people know that that's how I feel. Well, and so I think that's really good to think about sending them a positive email because I feel bad. I've only, I think I've only emailed an editor a couple of times, but it was mostly because with non-sport journals, I've submitted something, I've gotten a desk rejection. So where I either, wanted more information for future submissions or just kind of made, I think one time I disagreed. Um, but I haven't thought about sending them like an email thanking them for the review process or how well it went or a good decision. So that might be something to kind of consider in the future. I, I mean, I absolutely would recommend a lot of people in our field to do that. I think it would actually inspire the editors to continue to do a good job. Those, those editors that are doing a good job, maybe stick with the journals they have that much longer. Um, you know, and then also talk about, you know, if they know why they're doing a good job, it might be, it might be easier for them to mentor like associate editors who might be taking their place on, you know, how to manage the editing process and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I guess this isn't a question wrote down, but it was kind of interesting to bring up that of, I feel like smaller journals editor 
is more involved, but with bigger journals, you have associate editors. So sometimes it's a little bit tricky to know maybe where that power lies. Is that, is that a fair assessment or do you think that's like editing is fairly consistent across all journals, no matter how big or small? Um, I probably the bigger journals that have sparse things out, um, have to really do a lot of like, um, self-evaluation, see whether or not they're providing good quality. Um, because, you know, like when we submit papers to some of these larger journals, it's going to get sent to certain associate editors because they have more of an expertise related to yeah. mattering or method or whatever uh, that you're using. And then they'll utilize, hopefully, the people they have access to to get good quality reviewers. Um, so I still think, like, there's a good possibility to kind of make that certainly very – personalized feedback or tailored feedback based off of having good reviewers out there. Um, but that being said, like when you do have problems uh, and you do try to initiate conversations with associate or I think sometimes things can get a little bit lost in translation or lost in the, the whole like uh, layers that a large journal might have. So you might be looking to try to involve the editor in something that you think, you know, the associate editor didn't do such a good job on. And it might just take a little bit of time, a little extra follow-up before you can actually get them some responses on that. So some of those things you just have to be patient with. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. I just, yeah, thinking about your role when you were at GIA, it felt like I only worked with you if I ever submitted a paper there, but JSM, it feels like I never really communicate with the editor. It's always with some associate editor. And so on and so forth. Yeah, and when, you know, when I was the editor of GIA over that five years, I mean, we might have on average like 70 to 80 papers, you know, submitted. You know, where if you're looking at <laughs> port management, you know, they probably have close, with those annual reports probably have them close to 300 plus, near 400. So there's no way one person can handle all that all year long. Um, yeah. You know, without having like course reductions or something like that at their university. Um, and because I didn't enjoy that kind of stuff, you know, I, you know, it's great that like JSM can have, you know, three to four associate editors that can help like distribute that load. Yeah. And yeah, I, I bet we're going to be coming up in the next couple of years where we're going to actually have, or be averaging one journal submission per day at, at JSM. I don't know how many SMR gets, but that's probably got to be fairly similar too. Cause I know with some of the bigger business journals, they probably, Academy management might get, I don't know, I'm way out of school here, but it wouldn't shock me if someone said they get two or three submissions per day, every day. I wouldn't doubt it. Some of the large journals like that in the general management field, you know, might get, I mean, I'm on management decision. I think we might've had like a thousand submissions last year. Jeez. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. Um, so now we also have like a hundred people on the editorial do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so like, what's the best review you've ever received kind of having some fun and talking about actual reviews. So like the, I think the best reviews I've ever had, um, are always like typically like rejections or like revised resubmits where you get an incredible amount of feedback, but the feedback's not <clears throat> personally attacking. Um, the, the feedback that you get is criticism with like, uh, recommendations to improve. So you did this wrong, but here are some ideas I have for you to improve this. Um, really great reviews for me offer up references I may have overlooked or I've not, I wasn't even aware of to start. Um, great reviews in addition to references will provide you with like approaches to maybe how better explain some things uh, that they can see at the root of your paper, but they just can't see it clearly enough. Um, you know, really good reviews talk about like what they believe is not clear. Um, but then they also provide you some recommendations to like maybe how to make that more clear uh, moving forward. So, um, I think, you know, the best ones I've gotten are, you know, revise resubmits or, you know, reject resubmits or just full rejections where you get a significant amount of feedback. And then I, I, I like to say those things are really good reviews because even when you get rejected, if you really pay attention you believe it was a really good review effort you really don't have anything to feel bad about if you got something rejected because there's always going to be another potential place for you to send that paper and if you do your due diligence and utilize that feedback that you got from those really good reviews again even though you didn't get the paper accepted previously 
Uh, if you go through your, and do your due diligence and you make use of that information, you can write really great papers. So for me, you know, the best reviews are the ones that give me really good information on how to make the paper better. And so if it's not for that journal, it might be for some other journal. But I always have some real good satisfaction on published papers, uh, knowing that the review process was the thing that really helped me out. And that was one of the prompts when I said earlier, like that might prompt me to reach out to an editor saying, you guys did a really great job managing this. Mm, yeah, like, I would have never envisioned my paper mm. this good or, or could be this good. So, And that kind of brings up one thing I have noticed every once in a while is you'll get a review back and someone you'll get recommendations for citations and it's, <laughs> it's obviously the reviewers papers where it'll be like, Hey, you should cite these five Hummel articles because they could really advance your paper. Like they, they could, by the way, all of them really could. <laughs> and so it just, those are always tricky to me as a, as an author, when I receive that, I might, I'll go through, I might pick out like a couple of them, but maybe it's just like I'm principled or it pains me or whatever, or maybe I'm just being stubborn about not wanting to just shockingly throw in three or four articles all from the same person. Um, and maybe that trickles out of my reviews. Cause usually if I get a review and it's something, even I think one of my papers could really help. I may, I may put it in there, but I'll put in like four or five other people's work and say, you don't have to choose all of these, but kind of go through and see which ones are the best fit for you. I mean, any suggestions there on how to handle someone that sends like a large package of citations that are all one or two people? So the first advice would be to like absolutely go check out the references they had. Yes, for sure. And it, you know, and I agree with you. Like if someone's saying go cite these four or five or go check out these four or five Hummel papers, like I'm going to go check those out. But I'm also, as you kind of already outlined, going to realize that Matt Hummel might actually be the reviewer for this paper. Yes. So that being said, um, I try to do as a response to that, be complimentary to like the advice they provided. And even if it's overwhelmingly, like say one author, you know, I might talk about like, I see the value in these papers for these reasons. Even if I don't use them, um, I still might as a response mechanism talk about like, I read them. I want to, I want to prove to them that I, I'm familiar with that work, even if I'm not initially by actually going to read it and then talking about things that I liked in those papers. Um, and then emphasize where you can, if you were able to integrate some things from those papers uh, into your current, you know, response and current like version or draft of your new paper, you know, emphasize like these are the things I felt like were really good. And then things that you may be like disagree with say, you know, my typically in, in, in my experience, when you kind of don't want to use something from one of their recommendations, you can like kind of work your way around that by talking about like, well, I really wanted to focus more on this versus that. And you might be able to say, I think I did focus on these recommendations or all of them. might open me up more to these other things I got to answer. So, and then, then I think you can say like, I defer to the editor's decision on that, you know, because I think you, that's one of those instances where you can bring the editor back in play. Okay. They, write, they made these recommendations to me, look at these things. I, I did the best I could, but you need to make a call on this. Do you think this is valuable enough? And hopefully maybe the editor has again, summed up that stuff in their, uh, decision letter to you. Yeah, that's that's a probably a, a much better approach than what I was hostily thinking about. <laughs> um, kind of transitioning, what's the worst review you've ever received? So the worst reviews are we get absolutely hardly any feedback. And unfortunately, I've had that happen, not just with small journals where you think you might have a little bit more oversight from the editor, but I've had them from really big journals too. And in some instances, that's where I might express to an editor that I'm really disappointed uh, in the quality of the review effort. Um, I spent a considerable amount of time on my own reviews. Um, you know, uh, I you know will write several pages, single space of like here are things I think uh, I liked. Here's things I I didn't like. I mean, I will try to edit not just like content, but also the actual like like words and sentences from like an editing perspective. Um, and so when you don't get any of those kind of things that will really help move the paper or put it in, in a better position and move forward, even if it's not in that journal, it's going to be some other journal. Uh, 
you know, those are the worst reviews out there. And, you know, you have an editor who doesn't really, who gives you that more template response. And those things drive me absolute nuts. I mean, um, you know, when you have a template response, that's fine. But you have some things in that, you know, decision letter that really offer up some specifics about why you made this decision as you did as an editor. Um, and that needs to complement um, the reviewer feedback and somehow. And so when you don't have good reviewer feedback, it really makes the editor's job a little tougher. And then it gets me wondering, like, why didn't the editor go find like another reviewer or why didn't they send the reviews back to the reviewers and say, tell them to do it over again. Cause I've done that as an editor. If I wasn't satisfied with the quality of the review effort, I'd send it back to the reviewer, you know, mm. bring in another person who I felt like could do a better job. Um, so I could write up a much better detailed like decision letter to somebody else. Yeah. Okay. And that's a good point. I, I think a worse reviews. I definitely, I think that lack of feedback is really good. Um, and then I think I'm always, one of the other things that really pees me is if someone has no idea about the methodology um, and is trying to make comments and it's painfully obvious that they either don't know anything about qualitative or whatever your quantitative approach is. Or like you said, I'm sure you've had a potentially on historical reviews where it's just people are so out of touch for what's required for that approach or for this journal or whatever. And the comments are just kind of falling flat for that. I'm so glad you just brought that up because I actually have a paper published in IJSM, I think last year on like what is historical research and part of the title of the papers, it's not qualitative research (laughs) because I've had so many people who review my papers who try to impose like qualitative, like research methods or qualitative research expectations on how to do historical research. And I'm like, if you're talking to a historian right now, they would look at you like you're crazy, (laughs) except what you're trying to tell them. And so trying to bridge that gap without making somebody upset is really important as, you know, an author trying to respond to reviewers. And that's also and something you need to do in order to educate maybe potentially editors. Um, so that whole, that paper that I wrote was really motivated by like a lot of like difficulties I've had in the review process over the years, trying to explain like what my historical research is and how it gets done and how it can be, I guess, translated in the, you know, practical and, and academic, you know, um, you know, realms of sport management. Yeah. And to go into my expertise of doing a lot of papers lately on structural equation modeling, I definitely get a lot of reviewers that want me to make changes or add to it. And a lot of times they are very constructive or requires me to learn a little bit more about SCM to make sure I'm doing it effectively. But there are times where I get comments and even I can tell like that, that literally has no no bearing on exactly what's going on. Um, or I can just tell by whatever they made that they just, yeah, they have no expert uh, expertise or very little. And those can be the worst. Cause it's like, are, cause it just makes you wonder like, did they was part of the rejection believing that this was a necessary step and they just, they don't know Yeah, That's, I mean, those are great questions for me. Um, but kind of transitioning, what do you think are the best sport related journals for reviews? Like if you're an author and Let's say we don't know our topic. It can be any topic, whatever, but we, one of our number one goals for whatever reason is that we want to make sure we get a quality review. What would those journals be? Well, I mean, I think it really depends on like what kind of articles you're right now. Um, you know, if you're doing something that's really, you know, college based type of intercollegiate sport. You know, I think you do. I mean, I'm uh, maybe like, you know, bragging on G a little bit where I used to be the editor. But I, you know, the, the years I was there, you know, overhauled the editorial board. Um, I think we, all of the reviewers at that journal all have like reviewer guidelines. They get like each time a review gets sent out or a paper gets sent out to reviewers, they get attached to the, uh, you know, reviewer guidelines. And the idea would be there's oversight. So like while I was there, I think I did a good job of oversight on the reviewers. And if as I kind of outlined earlier, if they didn't, do a good job, I'll send it back to them and say, hey, I want you to do this over again. And then I might work with them individually too to try to show them how to do reviews. So if you were somebody who was like working in the college sport context, you know, GEO would certainly be one. I think you'd get good quality review efforts and good feedback, you know, from that journal. Um, 
you know, some of the other journals, you know, I've had, you know, mixed experiences um, with different journals and maybe because of subject matter um, and maybe because of, you know, who the editor was at the time or the handling associate editor. As I kind of explained, it's kind of hit and miss. I mean, I've had really good review efforts in some of our top tier journals and I've had really bad efforts in those exact same um, journals. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's important to say, like even submitting to a journal that's we, that is well renowned for good reviews does not imply that you're guaranteed to get one. Yeah. And some people might just have some more bad luck than others out there. You know, they might have one or two papers they submitted and their whole view of a quality of a journal is based off of maybe not getting two really good reviews, you know, effort of the journal. And that doesn't mean the journal is a bad journal. It just means that in your small sample, you know, things haven't gone well. So, you know, I think the bigger thing is really finding what's the appropriate home for a potential paper because, you know, if you know what your subject matter is and you know about the level of rigor that went into like trying to create, you know, your paper, if you know, like, you know, if there's a fairly significant potential like uh, contribution that you're making to the field, like theoretically, you know, those kind of things should potentially be going to some of the top tier journals. Um, if you're doing things that are more practical based, then those things probably shouldn't be going to the top tier journals that we have in sport management. You know, we're talking about those A-star, A-level, like Australian Business Dean Council, you know, journals. Because they, you know, they have to be real. Like, they're much less interested in the practical application of theory than the actual development and use of academic theory. So, the yeah. journals, you know, again, there's really good practice-oriented journals out there um, that you wouldn't send uh, a, a theory paper to and then vice versa. So, it's really about, like, just trying to figure out, like, what's what paper did you write? And then you know, what, like, what would be the best home for that? Uh, I know a lot of authors, and I'm sure you went over this in other podcasts you've had before, they might write two specific journals. And, you know, that in mind, it might be because they've had good review processes, or at least they're familiar with, like, the way the review process is going to go. Um, so, yeah, those are some things I, I think, you know, um, you know, the best journals for quality reviews really depends on like where your, your goal is with the paper itself. And then I, there are things you can do to check for good potential reviews though. It's like, you know, go check out the editorial board for some of the journals out there. You know, some editorial boards have some really strong scholars out there who you'd expect would maybe be able to do potentially really good reviews. Yeah. I like you brought up the point of reaching out because especially venturing out of sport management journals, it is, <laughs> I don't know what the best analogy is for this, trying to channel my inner Mike Sagas, but I would say it's like some form of like an Oregon trail where I'm going to an unknown place. I don't know if I'm going to be able to speak the same language or be able to connect with them, or there might not be anything there that works. And it is kind of a hit or miss. And I usually try to reach out to people that have submitted to those journals. So for example, you publish an organization. Like if I was looking at that journal, I'd probably do my best to try to know the people in our field that published in business related journals, find you. And then I'd probably try to reach out to you and say, Hey, what was the review process there? Like, did you get good reviews? How long did it take? Um, did, would you submit there again type experience? Because I think everyone has a little bit of internal knowledge of who does good reviews in each field, but that's kind of tricky for people outside of that field to know. Yeah, I think that's terrific advice. Um, and I absolutely would uh, echo that in that, you know, if you know there's other people in our field that are publishing journals that you think might be a good fit for potential paper that you have completed and you're working on, definitely reach out to them. I think they can give you some advice about like, what worked for them. They can give you some heads up scouting report, if you will, on like the editor. And yeah. That's a good way of calling it scouting report. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, at the end of the day, any kind of things you can do to help you know, advance your paper, that's great. I, I absolutely would, you know, big proponent of people like trying to, you know, push the envelope beyond just some of the sport management journals and, you know, go try to find some other journals that publish in outside your field. I mean, when you're thinking about yourself, like in a PNT process, you know, um, and trying to make sure you're articulating you are who you are in the eyes of people in the field. It may be to your advantage to try to get some things published in 
some general field outside of sports management. So if you see yourself as a marketing person, you know, go try to get some papers published in some of the bigger marketing journals. If you see yourself as, you know, someone who's really interested in like behavior, like, you know, try to go do that. If you see yourself as someone more interested in, you know, management education, go, go to those particular kind of journals out there. So um, I think there's some real opportunity for our field to expand our reach um, so that eventually like we all collectively benefit because we'll have a lot more experiences that we can rely upon to help communicate to other members of our field, like what might work. And then they the only enhance our review and I think writing process. Cause uh, I know like myself joining the Academy of Management uh, and other regional, you know, uh, management associations like Southern Management, you're going to be going out to the Western Management Conference with, you know, me, um, you know, Brian Seth, guy out there and I can't I mean I can't tell you like how much I think my my own quality of scholarships is improved by talking about it with people outside sport management you know them illuminating me on potentially new resources I could check out um, and such has really been helpful and even like partnerships with people I mean that paper you referenced you know that's via relationship I had with faculty at the in the management at the you know, uh, University of Mississippi, who I met through the Management History Division of the Academy. So there's some real benefits to actually as an author, but also as a reviewer, because then that same effort that I made to be part of the Management History Division got me to be on the editorial board eventually for Journal Management History, and now the associate editor for Journal Management History. So um, I think those kind of things have really helped me out as a scholar, also, someone provides service uh, to the field of sport management, too, because I've seen my own personal growth and professional growth happen as a result of reaching outside sport management. And, and adding on to that, I think it's really important of if you can get into, it is important to publish in our journals. Um, but going beyond that, maybe the next step is, yeah, getting into other business, like other business, education, law, um, sport for development, whatever your topic is, like you mentioned, marketing or behavior. If you can get into journals that have been around longer, maybe have a, a more established track record, bigger impact factor, so on and so forth. And then you're able to publish in there. Someone reads that article, really enjoys it. They're able to then find your articles that are published in journal sport management, sport management review. As and I mean, as we trickle further down into other journals in our field, then it provides potentially more people that are connecting and legitimizing sport management or sport-related research. I just feel like it's it is a greater good type of impact that by getting into those bigger journals, you become part of a bigger conversation, and therefore potentially bring up the stuff that's been published in sport-related journals into that more meta conversation. Yeah, and from the other group's perspective, um, you know, they're becoming more aware of the really good work that I think a lot of really talented faculty in sport management are creating and developing. And so they may not be as aware of, you know, this journal or that journal that we would say is within that broader, uh, you know, concept of sports studies. But being, being from sport management and bringing in things that we might be referencing in our paper to submissions that we might send in these journals that ultimately get published in those journals outside sport management, I think also is helping sport management in that respect. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so kind of finishing this up, I mean, what would be the biggest recommendation you'd give to doc students that are getting their first reviews back and how they should approach getting or responding to that review and moving forward? So first thing is don't take, don't take things personal. Um, a lot of the feedback that you should be getting um, is set up in a way to help not just criticize, but also critique and recommend improvement. Um, and so that's the first thing. Don't take things personal. You know, no one's telling you to get out of academia or that you're a failure and you'll never be you know, a professor somewhere or anything like that. Because I've, I've seen that you know, not just students I've had, but other students and other programs, you know, over the years that, you know, they might respond too emotively to the kind of initial feedback. And I think all of us have been guilty of that. So I don't think, you know, there's not anyone in our field that hasn't. So that's the first thing. Second is, you know, go to your advisor with the feedback. I mean, they may or may not have been copied on the direct decision because you know, the doc student themselves might be like the lead author 
worked by an author. Um, but, you know, go to them and talk to them about like, you know, here's the feedback and, you know, um, work with them on like how you would actually create a response. Um, you know, hopefully the professor will have some sample responses they can show you. I mean, I, since I kind of have a lot of papers reviewed at various stages, um, I have a lot of letters or samples I can show them like, well, I worked on this one a month ago and here's what I did on that one. Um, and so, mm. you know, ask, the doc students should really be asking, like, how do I do this? As much as the advisors should be saying, here's how you do this. Um, and there should be a mutual like understanding that, you know, it's important that you both meet, even if the advisor's not a first author or even a member of the authorship team. I think the doc students should go to their advisors and say, hey, I got this review feedback. Let me know what you think and then how I should handle it. You know, because it's certainly different the first time you get it versus like, you know, the fifth or sixth time. And those are even much different than the hundredth time you get something back. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then just be patient too. I mean, you just got to be patient with the review process. And, oh, you also should be thinking about game planning. Like, how do I respond to this? But also game plan, like, when are you going to finish the paper? Yeah. Yeah, I'm big on target dates. I think it would, the kind of finish up this was always a big question early on i remember is some of the journals are not very quick concise um have an expedited review process i mean how do you do you ever contact an editor to kind of find out what's going on and like how long do you wait or how do you approach that email to them that's a terrific uh, question so i typically play with like a 16 week time period um, okay. If I don't hear anything by the end of 16 weeks, I will absolutely reach out to the editor and say, hey, I need to get an update on this. Like, I'd like to have an update because there's no reason for any, on any one of our journals in our field to not be able to get back to an author within 16 weeks. I mean, if you look at these big management journals, you know, I, on the editorial board of the Academy of Management Learning Education, which is an FT top 50 journal. You know, they get several hundred submissions there every year, okay? And, you know, we have an incredible ability to get those reviews back and high-quality reviews back in less than two months, typically. Um, I know JSM, a journal, has, like, in, um, you know, kind of influenced over the last couple of years to try to shorten that review window. Um, and so they do everything they can to follow up with reviewers, uh, to make sure they're getting things in on, on, on in an appropriate amount of time. But we still have some journals that don't do that. And so when you get to a point where you're over four months and you haven't heard anything from a journal, I think you're completely in your right as an author to reach out to that editor and say, where are we at in that process? Um, and then to really push them on that. Paper, right? I ultimately withdrew the paper because I wasn't satisfied with the timeliness of the review process. Um, mm. you know, it's not for everybody, but I feel like, you know, it's important that I you know, keep things on pace and, you know, someone's not willing to respond to you or they're not willing to give you good information about where they're at in the review process. You know, that's problematic for me moving forward. And so the journal, I might wait until, until I try to go back to that journal. Mm. Yeah. And I've always assumed that reviewers end up kicking some or not using certain or editors do not use certain reviewers if they end up taking too long or poor review process and they just end up not being used in any type of rotation or removed from the editorial board and so on and so forth in those situations. Yeah, that's my hope. I mean, when I was an editor the first year, you know, I kind of got a scan report from the previous editor saying, here's some of your really good reviewers and here's some of the ones you need to keep an eye on. Um, and I, uh, went through my first year and I did do that. And there was like probably four or five people on my editorial board. I didn't invite back or I basically dismissed them because they were doing a job responding um, or a poor job of actually the agreed upon review they accepted. Yeah. Hopefully the editors are doing what they need to do on that. Yeah. And so to kind of finish this up, Chad, I have this list of fun podcast questions. So yours is what's the paper that you're most proud of that you've published in your career, whether it's a lead author, secondary author, but any paper that you've published. Oh, wow. That's a pretty good question there. Um, so I had a paper. Okay. So I have a paper. It's not like 
my favorite paper, but I think it's my favorite like outcome for a paper. Okay. It was probably like, and it was one of the few times. Uh, so my, one of my old doc students, Adam Flieger, who's now a professor at Belmont, uh, he was in a class with me. And so we were trying to figure out how to like make this class work for him as a doc student. So he could find some value in like being in facility management class, you know, with me, you know, cause I have a bunch of like, you know, master students and undergrads in there as well. So it was a mixed like hybrid kind of like, you know, course number that we had here at LSU. And so I said, well, let's try to mix like what you're interested in, what I'm interested in. So Adam is very much like a sport ethics, sports philosophy, you know, type of person. And we were trying to merge our two ideas together on facility management and that. And so uh, we ended up doing this paper on the moral obligation to preserve like sport facilities, you know, with the whole new construction versus uh, renovation debate. So we ended up submitting it to a journal that I will not name and it got rejected. <laughs> I should say. And I felt like the paper was a really good paper. It's one of those papers we wrote it and it turned out to be really good. And I was like, man, I think this has got a good chance to be a pretty good journal. Um, but we sent it out to one of our top tier journals. It got rejected, um, that's rejected. And then uh, we sent it to the sport management review and they accepted as is. <laughs> yeah. And Tracy Taylor, who was the editor at the time wrote like, this is one of the top like three articles I've ever got. Like as far as like quality, like right away. Wow. And like, that just made me so proud to know that like, you know, Adam and I worked together on this topic, like to kind of merge our like research interests together. You know, me facility management, him sport ethics and philosophy. Uh, and we were able to put together this paper. And it's not some paper that's like super well cited or anything like that, but it's a really good paper uh, in my opinion. And uh, you know, the fact that we got accepted as is, and we got a special note from the, I mean, Tracy sent us a separate side note in addition to the letter that we got accepted saying like this was such a terrific effort and they really enjoyed the paper. So that, that for me, I guess would be something that stands out. Yeah. Getting a accept as is. Yeah. And if I can, if you indulge me like for a second, um, you know, getting like history papers, real history research methods, papers, you know, published in the journal sport management and also sport management review. Those things are something that I'm really proud of too. Yeah, I say, I feel like you're just kind of, yeah, fighting against. Well, you know, until somebody like, you know, breaks the barrier. And I like to think that I've been helpful in that for other people who might be doing history projects in the future. Now they have some things they refer to, like in those big journals saying, well, these other people did these history based and they produce really good, interesting work. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really proud of those efforts, too. So we have to crack those journals like that. (laughs) <laughs> so, and just to kind of circle back on that, that paper that Chad was talking about with Adam Flieger and Brian Sebbing for anyone that's interested in the titles, the moral obligation to preserve heritage through sport and recreation venues. And it was published in SMR in 2013. So for anyone that wants to, to read through that, but um, Chad, anything else you want to add? Are we good? No, we're good. I appreciate the time. Uh, I want to say hi to everybody out there. Give everybody a shout out. So I uh, hope uh, everybody's going to have a great weekend here in sport management. I uh, look forward to seeing some people at some upcoming conferences. I guess I could say that. Like uh, we got. Uh, I was going to say, so management. where are you going to be at this spring? So, <laughs> yeah, I, so we're hosting Cosma here next week. So some people feel free. If you're listening to this, you know, say hi to me uh, at the Cosma conference. That's going to be in Baton Rouge. Um, a couple weeks after that is the Applied Sport Management Conference in Wake. Uh, I'll be at that. Uh, one of my colleagues, Mike Martinez, and I, and a couple of our doc students will be there. Uh, after that, I think you and I are going to be at WAM for the Western Academy Management Conference. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Of course, Hawaii is not going to be a bad place to be at. I'm going to say it's in Kona, Hawaii, for anyone that has regrets. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Then I'm going to, I think, CSRI in Columbia, South Carolina. So that's the conference I go to every year. That's associated with, you know, Journal of Issues and Intercollegiate Athletics and the College Sport Research Institute. So uh, I'm the editor emeritus of the journal, so I really like going to that conference, you know, because it has a lot of the college sport topic-related um, you know, papers being presented and such like that. Uh, and then I think I get, I go to a pair going to go to Sweden to the sport theory and data. meeting. So I got invited to that based off of being at the Academy of Management this past year, uh, attending oh. professional development workshop. So that's in April. 
And then I think in May, I'm going to uh, the Eastern Academy of Man up in Portland. So if anybody... Portland, Maine? Yeah, Portland, Maine. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to Nash, which is the Sport History Conference in Chicago. And so that'll be like the last weekend, last couple of days of May, I think. Um, well, that's pretty much my schedule, I think, coming up towards the end of May. Yeah, geez, you've you're doing like uh, maybe even one more than one a month there. That's that's impressive. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just really like going to all these places, and fortunately, a lot of those are like when I we have breaks. So, like you know, if I'm in Hawaii, we actually have spring break that week, and then you know, the couple of the ones in May, like we don't have classes anymore. We already are done finals and things like that. So, so luckily, I'm not going to miss too much class time, and we're hosting a conference, which helps too. So, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, if anyone's going to those conferences and wants to catch up with Chad, feel free to stop by. He's always willing to chat. But, uh, yeah, Dr. Seifert, thanks again for joining us for this conversation. I thought this was really great. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the same time from you, Dr. Hummel. <laughs> so, everyone, thanks again for listening here for this, this episode of State of Sport Management. Stay tuned. Our next one should be actually talking about being a new parent or being a parent within the field and kind of learning to balance that role of being a faculty member while also trying to get research and service done while being a parent. So thanks again.